Hey listeners, just a couple of quick announcements before I roll into the next episode. Uh, the Running Guide podcast is now with Patreon. Patreon is a bit of a, a support uh, system that works both ways between creators and listeners. Some of you may be familiar with it. Just trying to build a little bit more of a community around this podcast and find out what you guys would uh, like to see more of to keep improving the quality of the show and get involved uh, with, with questions and, and, and the rest. So uh, yeah, just check it out, the show notes. There will be a link over to that, and there'll also be another link over to my Running Guide podcast singlets that I'm now printing up. Um, I've got a dozen here, and I've got a couple of dozen turning up the next couple of weeks, or actually next week. So yeah, um, follow the link over to the website, check it out, see if you like the design. Pretty good quality uh, singlet, I've actually been wearing it for years in training and racing, uh, so that's why I'm getting this company to make them up for the podcast. So yeah, get involved uh, with Patreon, it'd be very, very much appreciated. And um, yeah, if you like the look of a single, like, grab one and I'll get it out to you as soon as possible. All right, thanks guys. Thanks for listening and let's roll with the next one. Welcome listeners to episode 26 of the Running Guide podcast, where I aim to provide informative content and interviews with elite athletes and health professionals around the world, like in today's episode, where I'm chatting to an elite runner, exercise physiologist, high performance manager, coach and mentor, who has been employed as a sports physiologist at the AIS for the last 19 years and is always working behind the scenes as well as coaching some of the best Australian distance runners. Welcome to the Running Guide podcast, Dr. Phil Saunders. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. No, no, I really have uh, been looking forward to getting you on, mate. Certainly I've uh, been on the list there for a while, so thank you very much for giving up some of your time. Oh, good. Mate, um, we're pretty lucky here in Canberra. We've still got some uh, running events going, and uh, the old annual Shrewsham 900k trail race was on last weekend. I saw you guys put in a solid team performance once again, taking it out. Yep. Yeah, yeah no, nah, it's always good. I think that's the third time I've done it, but probably 2014 was the last time I did it. Okay, um, you're right, yeah. So, yeah, we put, we, we put two teams in. Um, we had a mixed team in our team with Keeley and then an all-male team. Um yeah, tried to make them reasonably even, a bit of competition within the group. Yeah, okay. um, and our team got up by a few minutes, which was good. Um, I think we finished second overall and won the mixed category. Yeah. So And yeah. took the squad bragging rights. So that was good. That was me, Keely, Dion Kenzie, and Bryce Anderson. So, yeah, okay. yeah and that was good. Good day out. Um yeah, I think legs average 25, some are a little bit shorter, some are a bit longer, Yeah. and pretty much tries to get every hill that it can in Canberra. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I think so it covers about two, two and a half thousand metres in total, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Some, it's solid running for sure, yeah, definitely. So there's a few sore bodies the next week. Oh, I um, bet, mate, I bet. But yeah, so yeah. everyone's... everyone's um, Backing up for high noon meet on Sunday tomorrow, or well, not everyone, but a lot of lot of us are. So yep. um, that'll be good. Yep, that's um, the last one of, of the year. Yeah, and last high noon, but then yeah. we pretty much go straight into summer series, yeah. Um, yeah. which starts up again, um, but more of a Saturday rather than Sunday. Yep. So yeah, that'll be good. It's good to have some comps back again. Um, I suppose it's a long period where I was just training and not really knowing what was coming up, but Canberra's pretty good at the moment um yeah lots of sort of yeah trail races a few road races coming back and um the track races are starting to come back on too which is good mm. no we've been very lucky and uh yeah loving uh loving the spring weather we're starting to get at the moment the days are getting a bit longer so it makes it a little bit easier yeah it's always nice to have shorts and t-shirts rather than tights and jacket and gloves yeah. and everything else so yeah um but yeah Canberra winter's all right like the days are usually pretty still and um, you pick your times, you can get some pretty good training weather. Um, 
Yep. Uh, yeah, now we've all all got a lot of good work in and um, yeah, I suppose the one thing with all the restrictions is we've been able to um, just bunker down and get a real solid base. Um, so we've got a lot of people that are really fit at the moment, which is good. Yep, yep, no, yep that's fantastic. Oh, I'll certainly be talking about the crew soon, but sort of, you know, I'm keen to get, get into all that and the nitty gritty of sort of sports research. But um, how about back to you when, when you started running, how, how and why did you get into running and then what led you down the field of um, sports science and exercise physiology? Yeah, so I suppose it all all intertwines a bit. But yeah, when we were talking before we started the interview, um, yeah, I played all sports, just love, love sports, played Aussie rules, played cricket, um, always did well at um, athletics, um, cross country, all of that. Um, yeah, and I suppose it was just through the school sport that I um, did really well. Would always win the 1500, 800. And I think, um, yeah, one of the guys just in the local running club said, why don't I come down and train with this coach in Ararat, Kevin Maple. Um, so I started training with him. And, yeah, that's probably where it all started. Um, we sort of, yeah, developed quite a good squad there. Um, Mark Thompson, who you probably heard of, was a 1336 guy. Paul Fan, who made a World Juniors, and um, yeah, good runner. Yep. We all sort of trained together. Um, some older runners as well. I we used to run on the Otway Classics, and yeah, it was just a real good culture. I really enjoyed it. I really like trying to improve and do my best. Started medal in a state champs, making nationals, that type of thing. Um, yeah, and away I went, I suppose. Um, so through high school, um, early on, 1500 was probably my event and it probably has been all through my career so um yeah just tried to focus on being the best 1500 meter runner i could be which mean yeah lots of different types of training so obviously your aerobic conditioning um your speed work your interval training um and yeah sort of progressed from there um i suppose yeah i went to so i grew up in stall um country victoria mm, okay um stall gift i suppose it's famous for, so I suppose everyone sort of thinks you got running because of the stall gift, but it probably wasn't. It was just, um, yeah, through and love of running. Um, I always like watching it at the Olympics and, yeah, just wanted to be good. Um, and when I finished high school, I moved to Melbourne. So I did university at RMIT, um, yeah, and got into sports science there. Um, but I suppose it was always I wanted to be the best runner I could be. So, yeah, sports science was a way to learn a bit more, um, be involved with sport. Um, and I joined up with a group in Doncaster, um, Tom Kelly, um, the late Tom Kelly. He passed away a few years ago. It's pretty sad. But, yeah, he like always had a lot of runners who I um, was competing against when I grew up in stall and um, admired the way they sort of ran. So... I sort of contacted Tom just through, um, yeah, one of the state championship meets and said that, yeah, I was welcome to come along and train with him. Um, so, yeah, Paul Cleary was there at the time, Joe Ishia, um, Australian representatives, Mark Fountain trained there as well. He's a little bit younger than me but came through. Um, so, yeah, it was a really good training group, um, kept progressing. Um, and that was just always and, eight and 15s or? Oh, I ran 5Ks. Mm-hmm. It sort of it was a it was a pretty good time in athletics. So we used to have every Thursday night. It was called state league. So it was like the A grade where all the clubs would compete against each other, and it was yeah real healthy competition. And like the clubs tried to get their best team and score as many points every week. So 
um, yeah, and I ran whatever I could help um, Doncaster do the best. So obviously I'd always run the 1500, I'd always run the 800, but I'd run the 5k, I'd run the four by four. Yeah, that was it was just really good competition, um, and yeah, kept improving. Um, I actually. After I finished my undergrad, I went to the U.S. for 18 months um, on a scholarship over there. So a few of the guys I trained with had been there and um, um, University of San Antonio, Texas, San Antonio, offered me a full scholarship to go over. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was just a good opportunity for something different, just to see what college racing was like, see what the training was like. Um, yeah, it was good. South Lane Conference um, wasn't the strongest conference. I think I won a mile and a 1500 um championships there um conference title and yeah that no, was good it was just good racing so pretty much just raced the 800 1500 the odd four by four um but i think it was really good just to see another another way of just racing um trying to learn how to race better um put all that training together so i found um yeah, it was really good. Mm. It's pretty famous for sort of racing, racing for your team, isn't it? That it sort is. of mentality, yeah. Yeah, it is. And that real sort of like collegiality about trying to do well for the college and really well supported. So, yep. Yep. Um, yeah, you get packed. I remember doing Texas relays with packed football stadiums to watch and it's pretty pretty inspiring to be able to run in that sort of like big stadium with crowds and um, yeah. yeah you always step up an extra gear when you've got you know you're supportive and like everyone wants you to do the best you can so yeah, yeah. were there any other yeah, Aussies there good. when you were there um there was a guy tim wallace so it was uh like there was a family of probably four of them trent tim anthony um they're all good junior runners so tim was over there at the same time mm. um Mike Power was actually over at Arkansas when I was there. So, mm. um, so what, what year, what year is this? 98, 99. Okay, yep. Yeah, so, yep. yeah, and that was really good. And I came back, I thought they wanted me to stay longer, but I thought I'd better go back and do my honours and sort of see where I want to go um, profession-wise. So I got like a scholarship to do honours at Melbourne Uni in exercise physiology. Um with Mark Fabrea, and it was probably more of a research-orientated honours. I did sort of investigated um, carbohydrate metabolism in exercise in the heat. So, yeah, it was good. We did muscle biopsies, did a lot of, like, biochemistry analysis. Um, but it sort of wasn't what I really wanted to do, work at the university in research. Um, but during that time, they started up this scheme in Canberra, the AIS, sports-based phd scholarships and i thought that was like perfect opportunity so i applied for that i was lucky enough to get accepted for the um distance running um scholarship and yeah worked in ais with um dick telford um so like i trained with his group um he was one of my supervisors for my research um and yeah i've sort of never never walked back from there been in canberra ever since and um i suppose that's where i sort of progressed as a sports scientist, as an athlete, and eventually as a coach, sort of all inter intertwined and um, just rolled on. So mm. still going from there. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Mate, I'm just going to run through some of your PBs just to uh, get the listeners up. Um, 800 metres, 149.90. That was here in Canberra in, in March 04. Yep. Um, you ran yeah, a 1,000. ACT champs. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yep. At the yep. AIS, yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. 
1,000 metres, 228.05 in Melbourne, June 2010. Yeah, it's probably the only 1,000 I ever raced. I think mm. I did about 222 on a time trial, but, yeah, mm. that, that that's what's listed down there. So, yep. yeah. 1,500, you got 341.22 in February 05 down in Melbourne. Yep, that was at the Track Classic in Melbourne. So, yeah, pretty pretty memorable years, those ones. Yeah, um, okay. 04, 05 sort of around that time sort of yeah sort of one of the better runners in australia and like really sort of i suppose stepped up to the level i wanted to be at i sort of i suppose was always knocking on the door running yeah i suppose like high 340s and yeah those couple seasons really stepped it down and was competitive at nationals and i was going to say where where, where were those times placing you at nationals like the 341 in 05 um so Fourth was my best finish, okay. um, but I was, I think, 0.2 off the win, 0.2 or 0.3. It was, like, real close, 05. Yeah, um, okay. So, yeah, so I finished fourth, fifth a number of times. Um, yeah. I, this year would have been my 21st straight Open 15 Nationals, so, um, but it got cancelled. Um, yeah, okay. Yep. So, and of those 20, I made 10 finals. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and finished fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, like, always been sort of around the mark. Never quite cracked the podium. I think 05 was sort of the year. Well, 04, I was sort of in third place to 80 to go, and then Michael Shelley came past me. And then 05, I just got real bad position. I think I ran 66 seconds for the last 500, but was just sort of too far back. Like, hit the lead down the back straight, but just sort of probably spent a bit too much to get to that position. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was, yeah, really really enjoyed those years trying to um, do as well as I could um, sort of on the verge of making teams and yeah, yeah. had a really good group in Canberra that sort of fed off each other. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. One mile, mate. How many times did you have a serious crack at that? You got pretty close. Did you have, have a few never crutches? when I was, yeah, never when I was like running three forty ones consistently. Yeah. yeah. Um, there just wasn't the racing in Australia um, for the mile. Mm. Um, so my PB of 401 was like at age 38, where I was still running, yeah, pretty much close to my PB over 15. But, um, yeah, that race I sort of was just behind Nick Simmons. I think I was on his shoulder with 200 to go. Um, it was in um, Nashville, um, the um, Music Distance Festival. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a pretty amazing race. I Just off Flagstaff and, um, yeah, I was in real good shape and really confident and, yeah, just right in the mix in that race. So I think with 200 go, I was just, I was just so happy to be up there with those guys and didn't really even think about breaking four minutes. And then when I saw the time at the end, it sort of was only just, yeah, wasn't far off. No, yeah, it's got so, you down as a 401.81, mate. There's, there's not much in yeah. there. Yeah. 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 No. 3,000 metres, mate. Eight, 8.06.26 in Glendale, 2011. Yeah, so I think I probably ran... Almost ten times between eight oh six and eight ten. Like, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I was probably capable of running close to eight minutes or under. Um, I felt like I never quite got my best three k out, but yeah, like eight oh six was a good run. Um, yeah, I think I ran eight oh six, eight oh seven a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always good meets. That Glendale meet and the New South Wales three k meet um, in November of a year. Like they were um, both meets that we'd really target running a good 3K early in the season. Um, yeah, really good distance. I love the 3K. Mm-hmm. Sort of, um, yeah, not as long as a five, sort of uses that 1,500 sort of speed. Um, 
yeah, it was really good. It always was a good indicator that you're in ready for a good 1500 when you can run sort of under 810 for me. Yeah, 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 okay. That's no, definitely moving. Uh, 5,000 metres, 14, 15, 97, Brisbane 07. Yep, that was during the winter. They used to have the, um, the meet-up um, in Brisbane. I think it was before Noosa Bolt, the week before Noosa Bolt. They sort of set up a 5K there, and um, I ended up being just stuck on my own time trying that one. Um, I think there was Pete Noel and a couple of others up ahead who might have gone under 14. So, yeah, like really good shape again. Like um, just sort of ticked off those sort of 68-second laps and, yeah, felt real good. Um yeah, it would have been good to... I'd never really race 5Ks that much when I was in my best 1,500-metre shape and mm. always thought I could have given 14 minutes a good shake. Um, but, yeah, 5Ks a race I sort of do now with Jared as a guide. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I still try to keep that 5K training and 5K fitness. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, 10K, mate, 30 minutes, 55 seconds, Sydney, 2012. Yep, that was on the road, was it? Uh, yeah. It's 10K, so yes, it must have been on the road. Yeah. Yep. You haven't yep. done too many, you haven't, yeah. you haven't run a 10,000 on the track or? No, I've never done one on the track. Okay. Um, always, yeah, I will do one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably run through 30 minutes on some of those faster um, road races, um, Southern to Surf, um, City to Bay, which are further mm. than 10K, but probably went through 10K sub 30. Yeah. I think I ran like a 30-20 here in Canberra just for their um, um, road champs, which is all on the bike path. So, yeah, definitely would have been well and truly under 30 at my best. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just where you race them and, yeah, what yeah. gets recorded as a, a road PB. Yeah. Do you ever head up for the city to surf? I used to every year. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, when I first came to Canberra, there used to be a bit of a pilgrimage. All, mm. the, all the squad would go up a couple of times. Um, I think my best time city surf was like forty three twenty. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love city surf. It's a really good race. Um, yeah. 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 Tough, but yeah, really always had really nice weather and um, just a good tester. Like pretty fast early on, but then obviously those sort of hills in the middle and then the big downhill finish into Bondi. So yeah, yeah I really enjoyed running city surf, and um, I think it's sort of lost its way a bit. Um, since sort of got taken over by Fairfax and sort of um, the elite aspect got lost a bit. But, mm, yeah, mm. it used to be a race that was on TV and yeah. sort of followed the elite guys the whole race and everyone would target. So, yep. Um, yep. yeah, that was really good. Mm-hmm. Half marathon, 66.10, Brisbane, 06. Yep, I think I ran pretty much the same time two years in a row. Okay. Um, yep. Or within a second, 66.10 and 66.11 maybe. Um, and they'll run Quite different. I think when I ran my PB, I finished sub nine for the last three k. Um, in a real race with, I think um, Glenn Guzzo was his name. Um, yeah, and we we're just running pretty much the same pace. I ended up dropping him and um, yeah, running a PB. And then the next year, I was going for quite a bit quicker. It was the conditions weren't quite as good. I think I went out in thirty twenty through ten k, and just faded on a little bit in the second half. Um, but ended up with pretty much the same time. Yeah. So, okay. yep. Yeah. I really enjoyed those years of running half marathons. Um, yeah, really good fitness during the winter, and um, I know not quite as intense as the 10k, um, but when you've done the work, it's quite enjoyable. I found like the half marathon. Yep, yep, yep. 
Oh, so you haven't run a marathon yet? No, I haven't. No. Yeah. Is it on another, the list? Another thing to tick. Yeah. 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 Is that is that just due yeah, to the amount of time? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to say I the amount of time. Time. It's yeah. just something I. I suppose if I do, I don't want to do half-assed. Like I'd want to run it as well as I could and do the work for it. And yeah, yeah. Um, I've obviously I've coached a lot of marathon runners. Um, like I've got um, two really good ones at the moment, and Millie Clark and Michael Roger. And um, yeah, I know how much work goes into it. And mm. um, yeah, I could run a marathon any day of the week if I wanted to. Mm. Um, but yeah, running one well is different. Um, like for me, saying I've run a marathon doesn't mean anything but like doing one to the best of my ability would be something i want to do yeah it's not as if so yeah just being it in yeah yeah you can't do one every week so i can see what you're saying you want to put in no. a, put in the work and get it done yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I think i've always thought i can run a pb of a 1500 never wanted to give that up so it's sort of always yeah um don't want to compromise that yeah yeah um, and i travel a lot as well with the group so yeah um it hasn't happened but it will happen yeah yeah so tomorrow in this high noon you run the 1500 there yeah yeah yep. so a few of the boys will run there so i've actually got jared clifford and tim logan up they got an exemption to leave melbourne and come up to canberra so they did their quarantine for two weeks and okay. now they're living freely so um yeah they're gonna race i'll race uh, i've got a couple of the para boys um other para boys, Dion Kenzie and Sam Harding racing as well. Okay. Um, another guy in the group, um, Vince, will race. So, yeah, mm. it'll be good. We'll probably um, – another guy will probably take us through in 61s or so. I think Jared's keen to run somewhere under 350 or set it up to run there. Okay. Um, yeah, right, yeah. yeah what, time, what time's that on? Ago and, uh, 11.30. 11.30? Yeah. 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 Right. I might have to come down to a Facebook live feed on that one. That'd be good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think um, yeah, there's a film crew doing a doco on Jared, so I yeah, think right. they've organised someone to film, yeah, film right. the race for him. So, yeah, yeah, come down and have a look. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. And what time do you say? around and 11.30. 11.30, yep, cool. No. Yeah. I would have uh, done your long run by then. Yeah, exactly, and, and fed and hydrated, I'll be ready to go. Mate, um, yeah. As I mentioned in the intro, mate, you've been at the IS for let's call it two decades now. Um, you're sort yeah. of in the in the senior exercise physiologist role, mate. Sort of in that time, um, have there been sort of any significant shifts, sort of in the way that sort of sports science prepares athletes for competition? Like anything has been any big changes, or it's just more, more I guess um, ways of, of of finding data and research, or is it been a big shift in, in the way you guys go about? preparing someone for competition that you thought, you know, we probably got that yeah. wrong 15 years ago, that we're understanding it more now. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's been big shifts at the AIS. Obviously, the AIS has gone through changes over the years. It's not the same as it was when I first started. Mm. Um, yeah, when I first started, like, sports were um, based in Canberra. There were scholarships um, there. There was coaches employed. Um, and our job was to work in with the sports and the coaches and try to develop um, strategies, research, um, ideas that would improve performance. Um, so over my time there, obviously I did my PhD in distance running. So a lot of the um, outcomes from my research I still use. So I did a lot on health training. I did a lot about heat um, acclimation. Um, I did 
a study on strength training for runners um, and that's a pivotal part of my program getting in the gym doing plyometrics um, doing a lot of speed so um, yeah a lot of those things I still use um, um, yeah I do a lot of work with um, the race walkers in the lead up for um, Beijing London Olympics um, yeah and Jared Tallon went from someone who was not making teams to winning medals and a lot of that was due to the work that Brent Fallons did with the sports science team AIS so getting him better prepared to compete in hot conditions getting his nutrition right his feeding strategies mm. um you utilizing altitude training to the best way um yeah so they're types of things that can take an athlete who's good to the next level um mm. did a lot of work with swimming over the years so i worked with um shannon rollison john fowley vince rally um some of the top coaches who were that ais and um yeah a lot of the research and ideas i had were sort of implemented in their program um, we had a really good working relationship we went up to sierra nevada font remote um out, used altitude training before a lot of their competitions um yeah so, let's yeah. let's I, I know you've done done a lot of research um on on like heat and altitude acclimation um so let's talk about heat first like obviously there's you know finding it findings and you know that indicate that there's you know obviously these beneficial, you know, physiological responses to, to training in the heat. Can you just sort of fill us in the facts of it's actually what's actually going on there and, and why, why that happens? Yeah, well, I suppose there's, there's two factors. So if you're going to compete in hot conditions and you're an endurance athlete, mm. um, it's pretty much a must if you want to get the best um, out of yourself, obviously. If you're preparing in the Southern Hemisphere in winter in Canberra and then you're going to go overseas and compete in 30 plus degrees, um, you're going to find it really challenging. So that aspect is yeah, called heat acclimation or heat acclimatization. So basically trying to get your body ready to compete in those conditions. Um, so there's two ways of doing it. You can go over to the conditions and prepare there. Or if you can't, then you have to do some what's called acclimation. So use a heat chamber. Um, and that's what we did a lot of with Jared um, in the lead up to the Olympics. So at least once a week for probably two or three months, we'd get in the heat chamber and we'd pump the heat up and get his body to adapt. So it gets, um, allows your um, body just to be accustomed. So you increase your plasma volume, you adjust your sweat rates so you can be more efficient um, when you're competing in the heat. You get used to pacing. Like the first time people go in the heat, they... Um, they try to go at the same pace and then um, after a K or two, they're completely cooked because the conditions are completely different and they're not, um, their body's not prepared and adjusted. So yep. getting the pacing strategies right. Um, yep. uh, yeah, I think if you're going to compete in hot conditions as an endurance athlete, you've got to prepare well. Um, so that's a lot of the work that we did. Um, and then I suppose the other mechanisms is using heat just as a method to improve performance in normal temperatures um and the mechanisms there is i suppose heat is an extra stress so you'll um, work at a higher heart rate you'll work at a higher metabolic rate so you uh, can i suppose get metabolically more work done at lower running speeds um you also become more efficient so um there's sort of mechanisms within the muscle that allow you to be more efficient from exercise in the heat um, and you usually have a plasma volume increase, which more plasma around the body um, means, yeah, better aerobic performance. 
usually. Yeah, yeah. So, so some so, of the basic. Yeah, well, with, with the heat, like how if you were preparing an athlete to go overseas, you know, obviously the benefits only last so long. You know, with the altitude, we'll, we'll discuss soon. But with heat, like how long does that does that last within the system before it starts to sort of fade out a bit? Um, I suppose it depends. Depends where you go. So, like our strategies are basically you prepare up until you leave, and then where you you go, you're going to be in the climate you compete in that. So, yep. um, ideally, the environment that you're going to be competing in, um, and you would have the heat acclimation right up until you go. Um, so, yeah, that's that's yep. the idea. Um, yep. Otherwise, you probably you do a block. You do a top up before you go, and then you do a final acclimation. So, but yeah, like you said, you do lose the adaptations reasonably quickly. So it's not something you would do um, at the start of the year and then leave it and then compete in the middle of the year without any top up. Um, you sort of want to have that leading into the competition if you can. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the athlete has to understand that he's not going to hit the numbers that he normally would. So keep letting them know yeah. that it's okay that you're down a little bit it's just due to this uh, adaptation that you're going through and it's going to be very beneficial yeah. come race day yeah and the thing about the heat the heat can be quite taxing um yeah. so if you're in there every day with no reprieve like it can run you down a bit and you yeah. can be like quite fatigued so yeah i think what we used was basically one or two sessions a week and then the rest of the training was in the normal temperature and basically you can get some high quality and recover yeah. but still sort of build those adaptations. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously if you're using that strategy, you've just got to do it for longer so you can um, increase the adaptations a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, that could be a good segue into when you talk about, um, you know, um, spending time in the heat but going to do your good quality stuff in the cooler weather so you can hit the quality but with the um with the altitude you've done a lot of work there as well with you know live high train low or live high and train high type things so t tell us about yeah about about that yeah so altitude training the basic premises is um to try and improve sea level performance like there is like heat um, the ability to altitude climatization for competition at altitude. And I think if you're going to compete at high altitude, you have to do it because it's such a, um, a huge reduction in oxygen consumption at altitude that you can negate a bit by doing some work at altitude. But mostly it's used for improving sea level performance. And basically the basic physiology behind it is when you're at altitude, there's less oxygen in the air. Um, so all sort of processes in the body are impaired. So uh, I think for every 1,000 metres, you've got about a 7% reduction in VO2 max. So if you're up at 3,000 metres, you're going to be 20-odd percent down in mm. VO2 max, which is pretty significant is, for endurance yeah. runners. Mm. Um, but basically your body responds to that. So, um, yeah, most people would have heard of um, EPO. So it's like um, it's a naturally occurring substance in the body and that's what produces the stimulus produce more red blood cells. So EPO is turned on when you're in a low oxygen environment. Um, and if you're there for long enough, um, your body will produce more red blood cells. Um, so you'll increase your VO2 max on return to sea level. Um, so that's, I suppose, the basic physiology of why people go to altitude. But there's a lot of other factors that occur too. So um because it's such a anaerobic environment with the lower oxygen and you, if you do a lot of good quality i suppose lactic tolerance work you can what i found is you improve your um your buffering capacity in those middle distance events so you become a lot better at tolerating 
lactic acid and byproducts from um, anaerobic metabolism because you are in that environment so often up at altitude. So mm. um, that would be the one benefit and why I probably use live high, train high a lot more now, just those training benefits of training at altitude. Yep. Um, and then there's also because um, there's less oxygen around, you become more efficient at using it within the muscle. So um, at a muscular level, you become more efficient. Um, efficiency or economy of exercise has been shown to be important in improving performance and distance runners. So, um, yeah, it's got a lot of benefits, I yep. think. Yeah. I think you'd find most of the elite distance runners around the world would use altitude um, during their career. And what we found, it's not something you just want to use one off before a competition. It's something you want to structure within um, your career. So basically, I like using altitude twice every year if I can with my athletes. I think it sort of builds capacity as an athlete um, cumulatively as well as like um, one-off exposures. Mm, Yeah, Um, that was my next question. Yeah, mm. not all altitudes are the same. So mm. you can't go in a gym and run an hour in a hypoxic environment and think you're going to have an increase in the O2 max. Mm. Like it's not going to happen. You mm. need to know the protocols and mm. the time. So, uh, so what is the time? How, altitude, how long do you need to be there for? Probably three weeks minimum, yeah. I, I would have thought. Okay. Um, yeah. To get the best benefits, three or four weeks. Mm. Um, mm. If I go to a live high, train high camp, I might be in four plus weeks just so you allow that time to get over the flight, get over those initial few days and have like three really good weeks of training. Um, And depending what you're doing afterwards, having a week easier at the end so you can taper into competition. So a lot of the times when we use altitude, we like racing straight away off off altitude. Um, And if you've trained really hard and build up a lot of fatigue and you race straight away, like the race performance cannot be as good. Um, but if you can sort of taper that last week and freshen up a bit, then we found that people fly day one like off the mountain. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's how you structure it and how you use it. Like, yeah. You can also use altitude just as building fitness early early on, just focus on really increasing that aerobic capacity and then sort of using that momentum throughout the year um, to train at a better level when you're at. Um, down from altitude. Mm. Um, mm. And what's the reason yeah, why is, why runners um, always be taking iron supplements when they're at altitude? Yeah, so basically to build red blood cells, the centre of every red blood cell is an iron molecule. So if you haven't got iron available, you're not going to be able to um, produce more red blood cells. So um, And distance runner, just the nature of it is destructive, like to red blood cells and um, iron. Mm. So quite often... Um, distance runners will have low iron levels so if you go up to altitude with low iron then basically you're not going to be able to produce um red blood cells so by supplementing with iron it sort of gives you that stimulus to produce red blood cells in that um, low oxygen environment okay so so if you're going to go altitude um We always recommend athletes, like if they're coming into Canberra, to use the altitude house, like have a blood test, see what your ferritin is. Um, if it's um, the only reason we wouldn't say supplement, if it's like real high, like there is some disorders like hemochromatosis that having extra iron is like um, damaging. So mm. you don't want those athletes to be taking iron. But, but um, yeah, 90 plus percent of the running population, they should be taking iron at altitude to facilitate and there was a nice meta-analysis done of AIS and meta-analysis for people who don't know what it is it's basically just going through all the research in an area and seeing what 
at a uh, consensus for those. Um, if you didn't take iron, you pretty much didn't have an increase in hemoglobin mass or red blood cells. And if you did take iron, you did. Um, so it was pretty clear cut that um, if you're going to put all that effort into going to an altitude training camp and you're not going to supplement with iron, potentially uh, limiting or negating any results you're going to get in, okay. in yeah. regard to producing red blood cells. Yeah, that would suck four weeks of work for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, and the other other thing with altitude training is, which is pretty common for people who are sort of new to it, is basically train harder than you've ever trained before in uh, increased stressed environments. So basically, yeah, get in this overtraining state, and your body is um, not able to get any adaptations because you, yeah, because you're overtrained. You're in a sort of um, catabolic state rather than anabolic state and your body sort of just doesn't improve so mm. um my recommendation to athletes is basically don't train any more than you have in the i suppose average of the i don't know two months six months leading into altitude it's not like you want to go there and try to train more or harder than you've ever trained before just like the altitude do a thing train the same yeah, yeah. try a similar structure and that can be hard because you're in a training environment where quite often you've got athletes that are better than you doing more than you when you want to try and keep up so um as a coach um sort of just understanding that the altitude will work its best if the athlete um is in an adaptive state and for that to happen they don't want to be overtrained they don't want to be losing lots of weight so like obviously nutrition becomes important um and you don't want to get sick or injured at altitude so they're probably the the biggest limitations to increasing uh, performance at altitude so yeah iron illness injury yeah. no, that's interesting yeah, i could training. see i could yeah. see runners easily falling into the trap of you know if, someone, oh, yeah. if someone's yeah. normally working and then suddenly they get to go on this altitude training cap and train full time it's going to be normal to want to go out and run run more yeah. often so yeah it'd be good yeah. to have someone there yeah, to say right. we're just going to have to uh take it easy for a while and be patient yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah that's it be patient and mm. it's something that as an elite runner, you probably want to try and have mm. into your training program mm. all the time. So, and that's why, yeah, a lot of runners go to Falls Creek every year. We go up to Perisher every year. Um, yeah, it's one thing that's good um, just to get a good training camp with the rest of the group away from distractions and mm. all those sort of um, other, other other conflicting factors. But it is, like, the altitude definitely has an effect. Like, yeah. um, I've done it too often and with too many athletes if it's done well like it can definitely give you that added um, performance benefits yeah. yeah and you're a pretty regular visitor to flagstuff as you mentioned um sort of pretty much go there a lot why do you choose flagstuff over over boulder it's a few reasons so back in 2000 when was it 2003 so it was actually the year before i had all my breakthroughs i went to flagstaff with dick telford uh, michael shelley andrew o'neill lisa corrigan um and I just felt something different after going to there. It was just, um, um, yeah. And then obviously the net following years, I ran all my PBs and consistently did. Mm, um, mm. But Flagstaff's like Canberra. Like there's pine forests. There's, all well, Canberra hasn't really got pine forests anymore since the fires. But yeah, there's trails everywhere. It's on a plateau, so you're not up and down the mountains. Mm. So, you know, if you've been to Perisher or Falls Creek, it's like finding... Yeah, it's hilly, mm-hmm. um, whereas Flagstaff's not. Flagstaff's just like a town on a plateau. It's at 2,200 metres, which from all the research that sort of I've done and seen is almost like the optimal altitude to train at. Okay. Um, not too high, so it's you're impaired too much, but 
high enough that you're really maximizing those red cell benefits. So yeah, I went there in 2003 and it was just an awesome place for distance running. So I didn't go there afterwards. So we did a lot of work in Perisher, as I said, with Dick and AIS and had some really good results and obviously used the AIS Altitude House a lot as well. So the Live High Train Low, um, which we used every year. Um, so they were at two forms of altitude. But in, what would it have been, 2012, I think, I went to Kenya. So, um, yes, part of my professional development. Um, my boss, Chris Gore, thought it would be a really good thing for me to go over to E10 and just train in with the Kenyans and um, just experience it firsthand. And it's after going there, I just thought natural altitude over 2,000 metres is the best form of altitude training. Um, those training adaptations that you can't get from the live high train low. Mm. Um, and then at the end of that year, I started coaching Michael Roger. There was still scholarships at AIS. So I was supported AIS coach at the time looking after Michael. Um, they had a budget and basically I, what's the best way I, way I could prepare Michael to go to the 2013 world champs. And yeah, I thought Flagstaff's the way to go. Um, Mm. it's perfect altitude it's great running um yeah mm. and i've been every year since so i've taken a group of athletes to flag stuff every year since 2013 and um yeah pretty much always have yep. great results from it okay. um we've done some research so i had a phd student Vish sharma who um, did his phd under me and i did a lot of his studies up at flag stuff um and really tried to look at what are the um how do we train better at altitude to maximize the adaptations? So, yeah, really good PhD. Um, probably crystallized a lot of my thoughts on how to train at altitude, how to use some lower altitude training venues. Um, and that's the other view. With flags up within an hour, you can get down to 900 meters. You can go up to 2,800 meters. Um, there's tracks at 2,200 meters. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. do you ever um, run into the Yeah, I wouldn't even consider going to Boulder. Boulder's like, 1600 meters as well so yeah. 600 meters lower yeah, yeah um obviously it's got some nice trails but yeah yeah, yeah. Well, what's the distance between those two towns uh, like a couple of hour drive or is it longer than that oh more than that yeah, yeah okay. more than that yeah. um yeah i think it's probably five or six hours okay. in new mexico um yeah. so boulder would be a fair way yeah mm-hmm. no you'd fly, you have to fly but yeah, okay. um, yeah, I yeah. suppose from Australia, you go in through LA or San Fran or something and yeah, then you yeah, fly yeah. into one of the venues. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the Ingebrigtsen brothers are always over Flagstaff. Do you hang out with those guys at the at the pub or what? Ah, <laughs> uh, no. No. Uh, that... we, obviously, there's a lot of good athletes there. So, yeah. you can be a Flagstaff if they have a Sunday long run, which yeah. is pretty much open to everyone. So, okay. it's pretty much a mixing pot where everyone goes in. You yeah. get to run with a lot of good guys and... Um, but I, I just try to get my own thing done. Yeah, obviously yeah. it's nice to learn from other people, but yeah, um, yeah, I don't get overly starstruck just because Mo Farah's there, and um, I know some of the athletes do. But um, sure. yeah, I suppose it's just uh, um, showing how good Flags Up is the training venue, isn't it? That yeah, all yeah, the yeah. athletes go there. Yeah. And, um, so how many tracks are there in Flagstaff for you guys to choose from? Um, so there's the. Um, the university's got that one, so um, NAU, um, and then there's probably three or four high school tracks mm. that um, you can access. Like it can be hard, depending on the year. Um, mm. But then there's another track down in Sedona, which is about 
12 or 1300 meters altitude so quite a bit lower so mm. quite often we'll go down there for a bit of extra quality um in our training okay. and a lot of people use that yeah and then there's another track down at cottonwood at about a thousand meters um which we've used as well so mm. um yeah you've got options of a thousand 12 1300 or 2200 up at flagstaff as tracks you could also go right down uh close to sea level at phoenix um if you want to drive a couple of hours, probably only two and a bit hours to Phoenix. Yeah. So. Mm. And you're always staying at the same accommodation when you go there. Um. We had one place that we stayed for quite a few years in a row, but um, yeah, it depends on the group size okay. to where we stay. Um, yeah. So that's something I just always organise. Um. Yeah, either through. Yeah, Airbnb or Home Away or okay. like that one house. Yeah. I sort of had the owner's contact details, so you'd always sort of check in what we we're doing. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was um I was part of an AI study probably twenty years ago, maybe when you just turned up, but that was to find out why some athletes benefit more from altitude training than others. What's come out of that over the last couple of decades? Is that is that still holds true or? Oh, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I think there was a theory around that there's responders and non-responders, but like I think all those things we talked about earlier is you limit your response by preparing well. So if you yeah. know what goes into adaptation and what you need to do to have a good altitude training camp, I think you'll improve. Mm. Um, and I think if you get things wrong, then yeah, you won't improve. So I think um, just because you didn't improve one time doesn't mean you're not going to improve again. You sort of work out why, why it is. Like I've seen people who didn't improve, but they got – sick for a week where they're in altitude so they probably they lost five or six kilos or um they didn't iron supplement like that you can probably explain why yeah okay. um so yeah in my mind it's yeah it's not an issue like basically there's not some people that are going to get more out of it and some people are going to get nothing um yeah, yeah i think everyone can get like some good adaptations from altitude um there's still some um research going on about different factors allowing some people to respond better um but I don't think anyone's not going to get a good effect if they do it well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it might have been a financial decision if they, you know, spend a lot of money to send, you know, 12 people to Altitude for six, eight weeks. And yeah. It was more about, you know, which ones do we send? Maybe it's a waste of time sending, you know, Joe, you yeah. know, Dick and Harry type thing. And so I guess they yeah. probably just wanted to make sure that was all sweet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never taken anyone up who hasn't had benefit from it, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, ever question that yeah. Um, yeah and I remember chatting with coaches about it before and it, most of the time it's people just going in blind and like what we talked about just training way too hard and um, not getting the responses and yeah. racing really bad afterwards because they're so overtrained from the extra stress of the altitude and basically thinking how bad it was um, yeah, yeah. and it's the same with anything you have a really bad experience first time up you're probably relatively unlikely to do it again unless yeah. um You've got the right people around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, let's talk about strength and conditioning. I know it's um, obviously a big deal. Um, and, you know, you're obviously in your line of work, but, you know, just personally a big firm believer and strong advocate of it. Just thinking about distance running and sort of stripping it down a bit, what um, what should strength and condition actually sort of consist of for, for a distance runner? I think there's a few key aspects. I think... Um, one of the first things strength condition do is just make you better recruiting the right muscles. So obviously your glutes, your hammies are your big power generators. And if you're not 
recruiting those um, properly, um, you're going to be putting a lot of extra stress on other muscles and increasing the risk of injury. So I think it um, allows you to recruit and get strong in the right areas. Um, mm-hmm. It can create greater symmetry in running. So if you're doing like strength conditioning properly and you're doing like single-sided stuff, you become strong and symmetrical um, while you're running. Um, it also improves your efficiency, I find. So basically you're more efficient on the ground. If you're doing a lot of good S&C, some plyometric type work, so yeah, working on that um, stretch shortening cycle and improving the elastic energy return. Um, so yeah, I think you can get more out of every step, um, more mm. energy for free as it sort of um, as it goes. Um, I think it just makes you more resilient. You yeah. just become stronger, you become more robust, um, yep. and you can get through training um, at a higher level. So, yeah, I found a good strength and conditioning program just makes running faster, easier. You just yep. get better on the ground. Um, yep. um, and what does that actually consist yeah. of? Is that like doing, you know, three sets of heavy weights, three sets of six barbell in the gym, or you're talking strength like with actually doing plyometric work or, you know, doing drill work, yeah. or is it specific doing the... Yeah. Yep. bit of all of it um okay. so it depends on the athlete so if you're a marathon runner you're probably not going to do as much of the the heavy lifting as i would with the distance runners but yeah helped it over the years so i suppose it started back in the early 2000s when i did a research project looking at the effectiveness of plyometric training on distance runners um mm. we had some good positive effects and that was probably my introduction into the importance of snc into distance running yep. um and I think the other thing is it's not just an add-on. It's got to be have its set place in a training program. So when we do gym, we do it fresh. Like it's not on the back of a run. It's not replace. It's not um, it re- replaces the session. So um, my volume would probably be a bit low because I put two like hour strength conditioning sessions in um, that are more important than going for an extra an extra run. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I normally always start with drills, um, just trying to get that coordination, that um, that recruitment. Um, so yeah, we do some toe walks, heel walks, lunges, high knee walks, um, bum kicks, skips, um, crab walks, all those sort of things. Trying to work on all the different muscles for running, um, yeah. and it sort of gets you sort of loose and ready for the gym and mm. activated. Um, so just using fine. mini bands and that. Theraband type work. Yeah, for, for the crab walks. Yep, yeah, yep. for the other ones, just using, yep. yeah, yeah just no, nothing. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. yep. um, lunges, you can use some weights if you want with a mm. twist. Mm. Um, but usually the warm up, we, um, yeah, no bands apart from the crab walks, which we yep. I yep. do use bands with. Um, that's after a bit of a jog. Um, then... usually... No, that's, that's, okay. that's a warm up. Just yep. some, okay. some walking drills, yep. um, low grade plyometric drills. Um, and then um, usually a few like easy plyometrics. Um, so the plyometrics I sort of will incorporate. I used to do um, set plyometric sessions where it'd just be a plyometric base. But I usually will put a few in after the warm up, and then maybe a few in at the end of the session before we sprint, sort of mix it up. And the plyometric exercise will be stuff like high skips, single leg hops, like max distance, um, bounding, tuck jumps into a standing broad jump, um, box jumps, depth jumps. Um, yeah, a number of different things, but mm. all trying to work on specific running-based um, muscles and that elastic energy return. Mm, mm. Um, I think they're great with just like yeah. coordination and just making it like yeah. just 
better feel for running. With the single leg hops, it yeah. always made sense to me because every time we run, we always just land on one leg. So it always made yeah, sense. Yeah, that's and, right. Well, why don't I ever see people doing it? So I'm glad you said that you do that. And then I was thinking, is when you're doing it, is it more controlled, just trying to hit the ground and powerful coming up? Are you not trying to do it like fast or are you trying to do it fast or...? got a few different ways so like sometimes we try to do it fast like small single leg hops just trying to get that ping bang 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 yeah, yeah. and then other times it's trying like max distance obviously you've got to be controlled and you've got to get that but you're just trying to mm. hit the ground and explode off and um yeah and the same with bounding you're trying to come down hit the ground and really um drive like you are in running like generate force off the ground so yeah, yeah. um yeah. yeah it's got a lot of overlap with like force generation and speed in running so i think like a good plyometric yeah. training programs and specific drills will make you a lot better at sprinting like faster more efficient like better at um, generating power off the ground yeah yeah and should you just, like would you just work one side until you fatigue and then just pop to the other leg straight into it or you just sort of work one uh, if we're doing the fast ones we do but like, yep. if you're doing 10 maximal hops you mm. probably can't just pop to the other side you need you need like a bit of recovery just so you can do it properly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah we can talk about energy systems, but yeah, it's basically you got about six seconds for that sort of yeah. ATP energy system. So if you're doing them maximally, like you, you can't just keep doing them continuous. You got to yeah. have the, the right recovery. Yep. Okay. Um, and then usually the next part of warm ups, we get the med ball out um, somewhere between two and five kilos, depending on what, who it is. And, we do some throwdowns into the ground and then we do some max throws into the air, mm. just trying to get like that triple extension, getting the glutes working, getting the hammies working. Um, and then from there, we usually go into a couple of different lifts, um, which is trying to really get that um, glute hammy recruitment and strength. And for, for a distance runner, it might just be squats, reverse lunges, box step ups, um, split squats, those type of things. Um, which I do for my middle distance runners as well. Um, but we also like go into some more of the, like the power lifting. Um, mm. um, yeah. So the cleans, um, the snatches, um, mm. uh, push press, those type of things. So, so basically um, the, the yeah. longer the distance you run, you're less of that real explosive plyometric work yeah. you should be doing. Yeah. More of that recruitment yeah. and just efficiency and strength. Yeah. 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 And probably not as much that type of thing can, be the extra thing that can push you over the edge as well like mm. like i know rogues is always sore for when he's doing big k's and he's not going to be able to do maximal hops on a mondo track like we do mm. um yeah so it's knowing the athlete and knowing what they need but yeah definitely he needs to do some squats he needs to do some single leg stuff he needs to do some adductor work um yeah usually two, two or three exercises on the platform and then we do a bit of like hip flexor hamstring focus stuff uh, i don't know if you've heard of the russian hamstrings but i think they're like awesome for injury prevention just that upper hamstring lower hamstring strength so you're basically sort of kneeling with your um like feet locked in and you're just trying to go down to flat um so yeah using those hamstrings like they rip a bit but oh, um, i've seen that yeah, like i've seen maybe someone holding someone's ankles and they just yeah. sort of lower themselves yeah. down to the ground yeah, yeah. And it's just the eccentric phase you need. You don't need to try to come back up. So usually we just set it up on a, a lap pull-down machine or something where you can lock your ankles in and then yeah. have a bench out in front. You lock yourself to the bench and then just push yourself back up. Yeah. Three or four sets of five. Um, 
once or twice a week, yeah, it just gets the hammies real strong. Mm-hmm. And um, no. like, I hear a lot, uh, it may be more with, with tendon rehabilitation to, to loading them up heavy, but um, with yeah. normal strength conditioning, should the guys be going in there just doing three sets of eights and twelves, or should they be doing every now and then go in there and just do a couple of sets of, you know, where they can do four or five reps, or that's always the question yeah, I mean, that comes up. if you're going to do big reps, you might as well just run. I think yeah. if you're going to do gym, it's got to be heavy enough for you, and I reckon four sets of fives normally what I go from lifting. Yeah. So yeah. it's a weight that you can do sort of four sets of five. But distance runners, like if you can squat your body weight, you're probably all right. For yeah. middle distance runners, you probably want to do a little bit more. Um, mm. but that's sort of a good goal deadlifting and squatting your body weight and then obviously doing single leg stuff like um, split squats or Bulgarian squats it's it's less weight because you're on one side yeah, um, yeah. but you want to make it meaningful so four sets of five you're trying to get some strength grains you're trying mm. to get some recruitment mm. um, and then another thing that sort of um, actually Dane Verway sort of showed me in flag stuff he's come over with us a few times is just some like real heavy stuff on the Achilles um, so on the leg press machine and doing some slow controlled toe toe up back um even heavier holds just trying to push out a real heavy weight so like i might do 200 i don't know what the plate is but maybe 200 250 kilos just sort of holding one leg just trying to get a lot of load through the achilles um and i found that's been real good for um yeah just achilles strength and um yeah, I did have a sore Achilles for about 15 months, but I seem to have worked through that. Um, yeah, I think yeah. exercise like that have helped. Yeah. Um, mm. And then glute bridging, single leg group, glute bridging is real good. Yep. Um, yep. We do sort of pulses on the calf as well. And for those, they're probably lightweight and lots. So that's sort of that repetitive sort of tendon loading. So 120 pulses, 50 glute bridges, that type of thing. Mm. Yeah, so that's probably where we'll go to after the lifting, those type of exercises like... And then usually always finish with a bit of speed. Um, probably a few more plyometric exercises, so mm. like the straight leg bounds, mm. the bent knee bounds, um, the hops and stuff I was talking about. So maybe a couple of those. And then we do some max sprinting. Um, and it'll either be no weight or we'll do some sled pushes just to try and get even more recruitment and power mm. um, or resisted band sprinting. Um, so, yeah, we always finish that gym with some with some fast running um, and just trying to get people to sprint right, like not just trying to force it, trying to feel the ground, get that sort of heel kicking back um, and generating force. Um, mm. So, yeah, yep. that's usually our structure of gym, how I've sort of developed it over the years. Mm, mm. And, um, and twice probably, a week, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say twice a week, yeah. And um, obviously we've got the uh, the nice grass uh, track out there at Stromlow. Would it be, you know, advantageous to do that barefoot sometimes you know just to get just to get that i mean it just seems why is it why do we always be running all my kids always say can't i wear bare feet at the cross-country championships and i say yeah, i wish you could barefoot. because yeah. they always say how much better it feels and i say yeah it's, it's unfortunate yeah. you can't because when i run a bare feet it just yeah. feels fantastic too i love sprinting barefoot too so you, we do all our drills barefoot so to yeah. start every gym session we i always get them to take their shoes off and i don't care if it's mondo or grass whatever we do it barefoot um when we do plyometrics up at the track we always do our plyometrics on the grass barefoot um and yeah quite often we will do some running barefoot depending on the runner and their sort of history but um yeah i've done a lot of sort of warm-up warm downs barefoot over the years and i think it just gives you more strength within that long leg and foot 
um, mm. to be able to handle the loads of running. So, yep. yeah, you don't have to do all your running barefoot. You don't have to get a pair of Vibrams, but like a little bit of that is good. It's just getting you you're stronger. It's getting like you're more aware of the ground, how to feel the ground. And like you said, like it just feels so good to sprint barefoot like yeah, you, yeah, um, on yeah. the grass. Yeah, you actually feel like a sprinter. It's like it automatically puts your yeah. body in the right position yeah. and, and you spend less yeah. time on the ground and it, everything about it is positive. But, yeah, obviously, you know, a lot of people have um, hurt themselves by doing too much too soon, so you've got to be smart about it like everything. But, yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. just, you know, once once or twice a week after an easy run, just take the shoes off and run or two, run yeah, a couple of laps. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in the gym, like, definitely, I think, do all your drills barefoot. Like, it just, you get so much more out of it. And it's harder, like, for a start because you've got to use your, your foot to control and, like, that strength in the ankle. So Yeah, yeah for sure. Mate, I've got a question here um, from a patron of the podcast, Jason Keane from Sydney. Um, thanks for your support, yeah. Jason, mate. Much appreciate. Uh, so Jason asks, um, actually, what I'll add a bit of context to this. He's, he's 51 years old, and last year he ran 115.34 for the Sydney Half at Homebush. And 2:48 for the Melbourne Marathon. So the age of 51 is pretty good. I know you'll be, um, yeah. you'll be, um, you'll respect that. I know uh, you're sort of yeah. big on not using your age as a ceiling for your abilities. It's more about the hard putting the hard work in, and you can still perform. And obviously, Jason's proved that. So yeah, yeah. For sure. If you make it a barrier, it will be. If you don't think exactly. About it, yeah. I don't know if you're, you know, like me, just tell them I'm 48 now, but when I tell the line, I don't look around and think about how old people are. To me, they're just another competitor. So, I mean, you yeah, never as soon really... as you start thinking like that, you're sort of probably oh, no. beaten, aren't you? You've yeah. sort of got to, um, yeah. And I know now, like, like, I'm doing sessions better than I was when I was 20, yeah. my early 20s. And yeah. I, to me, that suggests that I should be able to run as fast as when I'm in my 20s. And I know a lot of things go into racing and motivation and all those type of things. But if you're doing it in training, you're still able to get the work out. There's no reason um, you shouldn't be able to run as fast. Um, yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mate, uh, so Jason asks, what are the best ways of improving running economy for middle distance runners, particularly for over the 50 category, who already have a good aerobic base? Best ways for improving the running economy. So let's just let's target towards him for the over 50s. So, yeah, so I think, yeah, like definitely as you get older, like strength condition becomes more important. And we talked a bit about like the mechanisms of how it can improve running economy. So if you're not doing any S and C, like I'd say, that'd be one thing you really want to target. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why, why do you um, think runners find it so hard to drop that easy run and get in the gym? I yeah. suppose it's just, um, yeah, it's just what's been done, isn't it? Like yeah. it's basically, and I suppose what makes sense to them, isn't it? Like yeah, most of your improvements are going to come from running more. Like yeah. obviously, if you do in the gym and you're not running at all, you're not going to improve. So yeah. most of your improvements coming from running, and that's what. Um, people want to do like they just yeah so sometimes you've got to take a step back logically to think if I run a bit less it's probably going to be better for me yeah, um, yeah. if I structure it better my training week it's going to be better for me if I don't nail myself every time I'm doing a session it's probably going to be better for me but it, intuitively you don't think that you want the confidence of going as hard as you can and pushing better than you've done before so mm-hmm. yeah periodization becomes critical I think and especially for um, like the older athletes so I think being robust so you can tolerate loads because obviously one way of improving running economy is running more like mm-hmm. obviously if you can um, run a bit more you become, become more efficient yeah you know, by not breaking down with injury yeah. yeah yeah yep so a good base to be able to do that um, 
some of those other things we've talked about just to become more efficient. So some of that barefoot stuff in a warm down, mm. some of the drills barefoot um, are all good. Um, um, so I'm looking at your mechanics. Like if your mechanics can be fixed, then try and fix them and try to fix them in different ways. So yeah. with some S and C, if you're sort of lacking glute activation, um, some ankle strength work, if you're lacking that. So I think that's the best way to improve running economy is obviously being stronger about it, tolerate a bit more running. Yeah. yeah. Um, Another thing we've used over the years is some downhill running, like some short periods of downhill running. So maybe twice a week for three weeks where we do probably three Ks worth of like some steep downhill running. So 10% type grade at pretty decent speed, break up into intervals. Um, if you can get driven back up the hill, it's a lot easier. You can do sort of six by 500, three by K, two by 1500, like whatever. Um, the thing about the downhill running is like it can be that extra stress that people sort of worried about that's going to tip them over if they're sort of on edge. But yeah, yeah. if you do it properly, you're probably getting a little bit sore for the first couple. But once you learn how to run downhill, yeah. um, I think the benefits I think, yeah, I a good S&C program. Yeah, that eccentric yeah. loading. I mean, I did a bit of downhill running because I was doing a race that had a little downhill in it. And, yeah, it hurts. Yeah. And I just had to remind myself, you know, yeah. a couple of sessions in, my body will adapt and I'll get used to it. Yeah. And like you said, it's amazing yeah, so how, how many people don't know actually how to run down a hill yeah, properly. that's right. Yeah. And they overstride yeah, the and they break. break a lot, your quads. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And yeah. you run properly and you're getting your foot under your body. Exactly. And you're on the ground, so... I actually broke the world record for 1500 in one of the research projects. Like we sort of, I know normally we're just running sub three minute K pace, but yeah, like for the last 1500, we thought we'd have a bit of a crack. And I think I ran 323, like 1500 meters downhill. Um, yeah. So mm. if you get used to how to run downhill, like you, you can, you can get a little bit of like speed. Yeah. Um, over yeah. speed work. Yeah, and and going back to the uh, city to surf, that's where you can see a lot of people last two k's oh, downhill, yeah. and they just suddenly put the brakes on. You go flying past them. You go, come on, boys, you've worked your ass off for twelve k. Don't slow down now. But it, it's more that the Sweet. fact that they're just not in the right position. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's a few things you can work on, but um, I think just being consistent is probably going to be the key. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if that consistency is improved by just getting a bit stronger, then all those little things will help. I think. Yeah. I was just thinking, and as an example, would you, like with a 30-year-old runner um, who's sort of got a consistent running history um, and just say that he's the same um, ability in a marathon as a 50-year-old, would would they would they be doing different strength and conditioning programs, wouldn't they? Do you have to take um, a 50-year-old and a 30-year-old differently? Because it becomes, you know, they say as we age, it becomes more important. So. Yeah, it becomes more important. But if neither of them were doing anything, I think you would probably try to build them up in the same sort of way i don't think you'd be necessarily treating them any differently um yeah i think the the general concepts are the same like yeah you're trying to get stronger in the right muscles you're trying to get more symmetrical you're trying to get more efficient you're trying to get more elastic energy return yeah yeah Um, and obviously you'll lose some of those things with age so I think that's that's why it becomes more important. But I think benefits for a thirty-year-old are still are still there. What about hills, mate? Do you run a lot of hills in your total weekly volume, or do specific hill intervals just to get that specific strength that, that you get? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hills, hills a big part of the program. Um, I think the middle distance running is like like key, like just that strength you can get up hills. That sort of anaerobic sort of like finishing, like you know from yourself when you do some steep hills really hard like that sort of finishing sort of um it just replicates the end of an 800 1500 so well um yeah so we're on a lot of different type of hills like we'll do 
the shorter hills where they're more anaerobic sort of focus where you're trying to get that real um, recruitment power um, and a bit of lactic. Um, we do sort of longer sort of strength hills, so three-minute hills. Um, we do sort of 90-second hills. We do um, surges where we just run over the hills and we might just run a bit harder up the hills and sort of float the rest of it. Um, yeah, hills are great. They get you strong. Um Middle distance runners, they help with that sort of finishing, finishing strength when you're like fighting, fighting fatigue. Uh, yeah, I try to never be too far away. Like I don't structure it um, into the program in a set way, but I wouldn't have thought to be more than three weeks where we would have a specific hill session in the program. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. I mean, we're um we're pretty lucky here in Canberra. We've got lots of trails um to run on and yeah, the grass track, but would you sort of prescribe to most distance runners, you know, generally a lot of them are running on bike paths and roads and that to try to get onto the soft stuff at least a couple of times a week? Yeah, a lot of people get a bit over-cautious about running on hard surfaces and thinking they have to get off. I think mixed terrain is the best for any runner. I think you don't want to be scared of running on the bike path and you don't want to avoid running on the trails. Like, yeah, mixed terrain training is great. Um, the trails in Canberra are so good, so... Um, you should be trying to get onto the trails as often as you can. Um, mm. I think foot strength as well. Like I grew up like in Victoria, like country Victoria, and just had heaps of forest to run on. I think it just gets you stronger and your your ankles and your feet. Like there's no way I could roll my ankle now. And if you're running everything on pavement, you're not building that sort of lateral strength in your your legs and your ankles. So mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I've always said mixed terrain is the way to go try get on grass try get on the trails get on the bike path get on the road um yeah mix it up yeah and yeah the trails are so good of getting that strength so if you don't do a specific hill session your sunday long run through the hills is like strength yeah like you're running through the hills and uh and usually once you get going your long run is your fastest run of the week anyway just because of the nature of the like the duration so yeah definitely yeah get on the trails where you can some people haven't got any trails to run on, so yeah. um, if you're in somewhere like Canberra, like find them out and mm. um, mix it up. Yeah, yeah, I do all my running on trails just because I love being out there amongst uh, amongst the roos and, and the hills and away from, from away yeah. from everybody. So, but uh, I, you know, I, I might put this past you um, because you know they always say like you know maybe four weeks or five weeks into a road race or a marathon where I know I'm going to be running on the road, I'll generally start doing some some workouts on the roads because they they say there's like a, a different yeah. training at you know, stimulus in the muscle that you yeah. got to get it used to is that true yeah oh yeah. definitely yeah okay. the biggest biggest thing that's going to hold you back in a marathon is like muscle damage in the second half yeah. um cramping um like rogues has been battling i think he's had one yet where he hasn't cramped up and basically he's lost minutes at the end of the marathon just by like cramping in the hammies and the quads and um, yeah, getting it right and doing a lot of hard training on the road and the preparation is one of the things um, yeah, you, you need to do. You can't veer away from, I think. Yeah, um, yep, yep, yep. Is that just because there, there's more muscle damage when you're when you're running on that yep. road? There's more that, that, that microfiber yeah. tears going on and yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah. Yep, cool. A lot more give on the trails and mm. yeah. So you just, you need to become so hard to run like a marathon, like at your best, like I think, you get through a marathon if you're just doing a sub maximum, but if you want to put it on the line and get the best out of yourself, mm. 
you've got to do those hard sessions, those hard marathon sessions on the hard surface. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that yeah, you're talking about the fast-paced stuff because that extra ground force you actually have to need to yep. propel yourself. Yeah, so yep. you can't just go doing easy runs on the hard no, stuff. You got to do your fast stuff. Yeah, marathon-paced stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. Um, yeah, like I've trained with a lot of runners over the years, but I remember Scotty Westcott one one session he used to always go on about in his marathon preps was he'd do 30k steady out of Stromlo through the trails and then he'd roll down to Lake Billy Griffin and go as hard as he could for 6k on the road um, when he's like fatigued got some muscle damage just to sort of trying to simulate that marathon um, yeah and we use West Basin a lot um, like a lot of the marathon runners in Canberra Mate, um, you're sort of coaching at a pretty, you know, you've got a pretty high-level squad going at the moment, um, sort of Tokyo 2021 on the radar there, mate. Um, that includes, as you mentioned, Joe Clifford, the 1,500 and 5,000-metre world champion, the reigning world champion there, um, from the Power Worlds in Dubai last year. Mate, um, just tell us about that night where, where yourself and uh, his good mate, uh, Tim Logan, paced him through that 5,000-metre, picking up that gold. I mean, you're his coach, but, you know, his mate and, and his... You know, yeah. and his guide. That must have been an incredible night. Yeah, it was amazing. It was so good. Uh, he'd won the 1500 metre a week before, um, mm. and that was so exciting in itself because he, um, yeah, worked with Jared from when he was um, a development athlete. It looked like he was about seven when he came to Canberra the first time, and mm. just seeing his progression has been amazing. So that 1500 was pretty special. Mm. But the 5K was just another level. Like normally, like I've been a team coach for able body and para um at olympics world champs paralympics um and normally you warm up the athlete you take them to the call room and then you walk in the stands and it's up to them obviously you've done everything you can um you sort of watch but with jared it's we're into the call room together um i'm seeing him prepare um we're doing it as a team so it was a totally different um feeling than I've ever had before as a coach obviously I've been as an athlete into that call room experience many times but being there for his result and being an important factor factor of that result was mm. yeah another level of satisfaction and I just remember during the race um sort of had a few different plans but basically I just navigated him into second place the pace was slow for us like we we're running probably three minutes 305k pace early on so we were just cruising and i just knew he had it one i got to put him in position kept him there there's a little bit of a move just got him on it um and when i sort of handed off to tim i just i could just sense how he's running like we've got it a few races together and he's always sort of struggled um by the sort of end of the time we hand over it's almost like he's just been ha- hanging on with tim Mm. Um, but this time he was just like fluent he was easy and i just knew there was no one who was going to beat him in the second half so mm. it was a pretty um amazing feeling um but it was still it was still on in the last lap uh, like i was confident he was going to do it but it's still being part of that and having the three of us like win the gold medal was yeah so special like his parents were there too um all the rest of the team who's been on the journey so rogues dion um were there as well so yeah it was it was amazing yeah that whole championship was so, so amazing the whole year like rogues won his first gold medal in london as well in the marathon yeah. and then backed up with a silver um so yeah it was pretty special as a coach to be part of those athletes and achieve those heights that they sort of um dreamed of 
Yeah, so, yeah. And Dion yeah, got a silver too, didn't he? Dion got a bronze. Bronze, um, did okay. Yeah. He, he got a gold in London like two years before, which was a pretty amazing night too. Mm. Um, but no, he, he didn't have the best lead up. He was going probably better than the bronze. He probably should have got silver. Canadian guy who sort of came into his class um, as an able-bodied athlete, like was a um, acquired CP. Um, it was always going to be hard to beat, and Dion had quite a few problems in the lead-up with his hammy, so his preparation was a bit hampered, so he did well to get the bronze, um, mm-hmm. and he's flying this. Awesome. Well, what happened with Rogues? There was something going on. Four gold medals if Tokyo goes ahead. Sorry, I just I just lost you for a bit there, mate. That's why I spoke over to you, but uh, spoke over you. But yeah, the rogues. Um, something something happened with his silver medal. He wasn't sure if he got it. There was a. Was... Oh, it was a bit ridiculous, really. Um, yeah. yeah, it was. He led the whole race. We thought with his marathon strength, there's a few good guys there who've always beaten him in the last lap kick. So it's like, make it str- make it honest. If someone's good enough to beat you, they'll beat you. So he. He took it on. Um, it was probably sort of like low 350, sub 350 type pace. And there was, I think, four or five of them in the last lap. And he has given up a couple of times when he's been beaten at the World Championship in the 15. But he was fighting for everything. He dodged in between one guy. Another guy tried to go around and he held his spot. Didn't make any contact. And then they DQ'd him, like for um, impeding someone. But like, he didn't veer from his line for the whole race and the only time was when he sort of ducked in in between two people mm-hmm. like in traffic which was a good move so we were and it went on for ages and ages and i saw like we watched the footage and it's like there's no way you can get mm-hmm. dq'd so was it coming yeah, it from from a, another from someone else on the track like a, another athlete or was that from the officials that were I'm not even sure how it came but i think it was the officials and right. i think they were just strong on something but at the yeah. end of the day like Andrew Fakeney, who's, like, really good in that situation, made them see sense, and they reinstated him with his silver. Um, and it was good because he ran such a good race. Obviously, he won the gold in the marathon. Mm. wasn't his main race, but um, he won a double gold, and he fought hard for that silver. So to have it taken away from him for that brief time was, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. And Jared obviously was on cloud nine after winning his gold medal. So just, yeah, managing those emotions was... Yeah, a bit testing, but at the end of the day, it was finished really well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you mentioned um, being a guide, you and Tim, you guys get a gold medal as well. Is that right? Is that um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a contentious issue. So okay. um, that's what we thought. Um, like, we're considered as athletes. We're on the program. We're part of the Australian team. Um, yeah, we're Paralympians um, if we if Tokyo goes ahead, um, but for the world champs. But... That's what we thought, but when the medal presentation, the official said, no, the rules are if there's one guide, they get a gold medal. If there's multiple guides, neither of you get a gold medal. Um, which, yeah, I don't quite understand because a 5K stakes, you might have two guides, and it's because of the distance and yeah, okay. uh, marathon. I think you can have four guides. Um, so if you can have two, why would you have one? Um, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. at Jared's level, you're going to have to have a pretty good athlete to guide him for the whole 5k um yeah yeah, so we use two and basically i go first so i can set up the tactics and talk to him and position him and then tim goes last um yeah so and it's how it works and it's how jared runs his best times 
to me, it doesn't matter. Like the, the gold medals for Jared, and like I'm there as his guide and his coach and helping make it happen. Uh, obviously, it'd be nice to be on the podium and have a gold medal to sort of remember it by. And um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. They might change it for Tokyo, but at Dubai, yeah, they didn't have okay. medals for the guides. And and Tim gets, like you said, he's, he's part of the team, so he gets all the funding from AA and all the rest of it? Yep. Oh, that's good. Yep. yep. So, yeah, it's a bit of a tricky situation like with my role as coach and working at AIS because both of us should be classified as the same as Jared so podium level athlete um, on NAS so yeah anyway Tim is Tim's fully funded he gets the same level funding as Jared um, mm. and I get sort of NAS funding at a service level um, at the AIS so mm. yeah can get mm. sports medicine physio massage all that sort of support um, and obviously the coach yeah. Um, I do all the S&C programs and train with them as well. So Tim is, yeah, the same as Jared and Rogues and Dion and um, Sam Harding. Like he's on the on the radar as a, a para-athlete, as Jared's guide. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Mate, thanks so much, fellow, mate. It's uh, giving up your time on a Saturday afternoon. Um, all that information is going to be fantastic, mate, to, uh, to digest it all. And uh, I'm sure the listeners are going to get a lot out yeah. of that. Um, Mate, all the best with your own personal training and racing goals. And uh, yeah. we're all sort of extremely looking forward to Tokyo Olympics um, and the Paralympics. Yeah. You know, see how they're all going, yeah, including yeah. the uh, the Saunders stable, mate. See how all your, all your runners yeah. go. Yeah. Actually, yeah. is Keely Small, is she she hoping to... Yeah, I was yeah. just going to mention, like, I we talked about the para guys. So obviously, we got, yeah, we mentioned Dion, Jared, um, Rogues, and Tim. Um, and there's also another guy, Sam Harding, who is, like, a great story as well. Um, I, I won't go on too long, but yeah, Sam, I got glandular fever at London when he was an 800 meter runner and couldn't compete and he's never made a team since he transitioned to 400, but then he went across to me in about 2015 and he's actually done two qualifiers for Tokyo. He actually mm. ran 353 the day after Jared won his gold medal on the 1500 and Rogues won his silver. I reckon the squad was almost happier for Sam getting that time than they were for the medals, like just how much he puts in, how good he is for the squad. So um, so he should be there in Jared's class as well in the 1500. Okay. Um, And then the able-bodied side, yeah, we've got Keely, uh, Keely Small in the 800 or 1500. She's had an awesome winter, so I think she's going to raise some eyebrows over 1500 in the next year or two. Okay. She ran a 16 flat 5k just at the last high noon meet on her own. So, so she's yeah, run she the qualifier for the eight and the 15 for Tokyo, or no, no, no she hasn't. Okay. No. Yep. And the qual, who knows how the qualifier is going to go? Yeah. It's all based on sure. the auto, which is 159.5 or 159.7. But yeah, I don't think the auto's out of her reach in either the eight or 15 if we get good quality racing back. So yeah, she's a pleasure to work with. Super talented athlete. Like sky's the limit for her. Like as fast as any like female distance run I've ever seen and it's got an aerobic capacity too. So um, yeah, we've just been patient with Keely, um, keep building her up. But yeah, what I've seen this year is like, she's going to go to the next level very shortly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, really exciting. And yeah, just such a good member of the squad. Everyone Mm. sort of dries after everyone's results. Um, And the other two I've got who, both aren't in Canberra at the moment. Um, Millie Clark, marathon runner. So she's actually run an auto of 228, um, but she's the fourth ranked. So she needs to go 226, 15 or 20 um, to get that third spot. I think Ella Pashley is the third spot, but she's running London. 
Um, so we're pretty much aiming to try to get under 226 for Millie um, when she gets a chance to run again. Awesome athlete, Millie. She's just so tough, like does it all on her own. She's in the shape of a life at the moment. Um, talking about some of those hard marathon sessions on the road, we could spend another hour talking about some of the stuff she does and the shape she's in. But yeah, she hopefully will be there too. She gets an opportunity. And then Paige Campbell in the steeplechase who... If they keep the qualification the way it is, I think she'll be on the team. If they change it, then she just has to run um, the qualifier, the roll down. But, yeah, she's had a good winter as well in great shape. So I think she'll be there in the steeplechase, maybe the 5K. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, we've got and Rogues three, will be running, running the marathon, will he? Just the marathon? Yep. Yeah, just the marathon. He yeah. can do both. Um, the 1500s on maybe a week before the marathon. But yeah. I just don't want to detract the focus on the marathon and yeah. potentially – pull up real sore after a hard 1500 that he hasn't really been hardened to yeah. to run so yeah. um it's just a bit of a risk with him like some of the he's got a bit of osteitis pubis at the moment which we're managing but he's streets ahead in his class in the marathon and yeah. he hits the start line in any sort of shape he's going to win the gold medal so um which he's never done at the paralympics is his fourth one so yeah yeah we'll just concentrate on the marathon mm, mm. no it's exciting mate i just Mate, I'm doing my Hail Marys every night, mate, hoping all this happens next year, but it's, it's such an uncertain world yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I know. But, you know, I just, yeah. it, it, it's, it's not so much for me, obviously. It's, it's just for the athletes, all the work they've put in, and, um, yeah, I just hope like hell it, it goes ahead. Yeah, that's right. And it's, yeah, it's tough managing, like, all the emotions associated because sure. we, were, we were pretty much set and ready to go for Tokyo this year. Um, I couldn't have seen Jared and Rogues not winning gold medals and yeah. for it to be postponed, it's like it's massive for those. It's sort yeah. of the prime yeah. of their career and, and trying to digest it all. But, yeah, yeah you just got to look at the bigger bigger scheme and you got to do what's in your control and that's the way I've just tried to manage it, just try to use this as 12 months to be even better and yeah. all the athletes are, are becoming better. Um, so, yeah, Tokyo goes ahead next year. Um, yeah. We'll mate, kill it. It'll probably be the most special Olympics ever for, for all that's uh, for all that's happened, mate. So, yeah, to be part of it, um, it'll be incredible. Yeah, mate. Um, thank you once again, Phil. I really appreciate that, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. Been been good chatting. No, it's so, been awesome, yeah, mate. Been my passion for the last, like as you said, two decades now, probably. Um, yeah, no, so, it's it's good yeah, having it's people nice like day. you around. That are so, uh, you know, so so absorbed in, into the sport and also doing all the research on the side and getting the best out of out of the athletes and. Um, and getting the best out of yourself, you know what I mean? Um, like you're, what, I don't know, am I allowed 40, to ask a guy his age? I think moment. you're allowed to, aren't you? 44? Yeah, yeah. 43. <laughs> and, 44 and, and, at the end of the year, yeah. And you're still running pretty quick. Like, what, what are you running your 1500s in at the moment? Um, I ran 345 a couple of years ago. Like, I'd like to think I'm still in that sort of 345, 350 shape once yeah, racing yeah. starts up again. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so you've probably, what, dropped... 10 seconds in 10 or 15 years at the most or yeah at the most yeah, yeah i reckon yeah. i can still give that pb a shake get everything right yeah that's awesome mate live the dream mate well you're putting in the work so yeah. that's fantastic all right fellow mate thank awesome. you once again all right. yeah been a pleasure good che- chatting thanks a lot cheers mate